I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Ibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, and I'm the editor of the anthology, which you should run out and buy, called Moms Don't Have Time to, a quarantine anthology. All proceeds of that book go to COVID-19 vaccine research. And I'm the editor-in-chief of Moms Don't Have Time to Write, a new publication on Medium, and we're accepting submissions, so please send your personal essays there. And if all that isn't enough, you can follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens, and my website is zibbyowens.com. Okay, now back to this amazing podcast. Anne Garvin is the author of I Thought You Said This Would Work, a novel. Anne, PhD, is the USA Today bestselling author of I Thought You Said This Would Work, I'd Like You Just Fine When You're Not Around, The Dog Year, and On Maggie's Watch. Anne writes about women with a good sense of humor, who do too much in a world that asks too much from them. She teaches at Drexel University Masters of Fine Arts program and has held positions at Miami University and Southern New Hampshire in their Masters of Fine Arts program. Anne is also the founder of The Tall Poppy Writers, where she is committed to helping women writers find readers. She is a sought-after speaker on writing, leadership, and health, and has taught extensively nationally and internationally. Welcome, Anne. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You're, I think, one of the first people who's come on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight first. Could that be? I don't know. (laughs) I think you might be right. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a thrill to be on your show. Oh my gosh. Well, you're so amazing. And I, I loved this book. Tell listeners, please, what your book is about and what inspired you to write it. So my book's about old friends who had a conflict where they didn't No, you know, one of them didn't know what the conflict was and the other one had a misunderstanding about it. And they were best of friends, like the kind of friends that were sisters in college, you know, that kind of friend where, you know, you tell them everything, they make your whole life work. And then on graduation, there's a miscommunication and it's so bad that they lose each other. And also this was like in the 90s. I mean, it was written because they're more, you know, maybe our age or a little bit younger. And so they didn't have that ability to just text or call or find people. And so, and they were young. And so there was such a feeling of like, oh my God, what happened and shame and not really understanding how hard it is to make another friend in later in life, you know, that feels so much like that college friend. So over the years, the protagonist, Samantha, just 
understands what she lost and then is so deeply sorry and doesn't know what she did. And then Holly, the the woman that she fought with, she has really taken it to heart. And she's not about to, you know, make friends with this woman anymore. But their best friend is in the hospital. She has cancer. And she's asking them to do a big deal for her. She needs her great Pyrenees dog that lives at her ex-husband's house. And she wants that dog so she can get through chemotherapy again. This is a remission situation. And so she's like, you know, you guys are the only people that I can ask to do this. This dog can't be flown. You've got to drive with him. And, you know, you need each other to do this. And they can't say no. And they don't want to do it. And so midway, like they're both on their way out to California to pick up this dog and they pick up a D-list celebrity who just sort of attaches herself to this twosome. And she is like a fairy minx who is constantly sort of causing trouble and making a sort of a angry situation funny. And what's interesting about her is that I didn't know she was even like planned. She just showed up in the book. Wow. Yeah. And she was obviously like the most fun to write, right? Because she's, she's like, you know, when you're a D-list California celebrity, anything can come out of your mouth. And it was so <laughs> much fun. Like it's so fun. And they're both irritated, but they both kind of are glad she's there because nobody wants to read a book of some two people fighting all the way. So like it was a really fun write. And there, I wrote it because, well, I was having dinner with two friends who are sort of friends, but mostly I'm the one that is the glue that brings those two together. And I had this flash where I thought, oh my God, it would be funny to put these two in a tiny car and make them drive cross country. And that was the inspiration for it. It was just uh. that. Yeah. And even though neither one of them are really in the book, like I asked my friend, I said, do you even see yourself in the book? And she was like, no, that neither one of those people are me. I'm like, I know, but you know, people think that you pull so much from your life and you do, but no, no one was harmed in the writing of this book. <laughs> <laughs> no friendships were harmed. Well, let's go back to Katie's relationship with her dog, because I thought the way you wrote that was really beautiful. And even the way that, so her husband basically gets the dog because of his ability to be litigious and sort of right. an unending reserve of cash and gets remarried to this woman, Mindy, who then becomes allergic to the dog. And so then right. after all this fighting, when and basically Katie has to give up just because of her resources. She loses mm-hmm. the dog and then goes into such a state of grief over mm-hmm. losing it that she doesn't know what to do. And the fact that you said that the dog was the one who was able to be like a cancer sniffing dog before that was a thing. So tell me yeah. about that. So this dog is, well, I, you know, I think dog lovers and cat lovers, it's really no different. Like whatever animal really speaks to you, I think. But for me, you know, I always have a dog on my lap, so I always go to dogs. But you know how they are so unbelievably loving. And they, I think that, you know, like my dog, if I cry or laugh, like my dog knows it, like he knows what's going on. And she, so yeah, her ex-husband takes the dog. And then because she's allergic, his new, you know, younger wife, he dumps the dog at at a pound. So like he's so he's one of those men that blame the wife for the divorce, even though they did the thing that, you know, 
they divorce them. And that's the ultimate not okayness as far as they're concerned. And so he's mad and he dumps the dog at the pound. And so those two friends have to go there to get that dog. I really can't believe, I can't believe the guy would do that. I mean, that is like the lowest of the low. Like you have to be a really bad person, I feel like, to abandon the dog that you know has a loving potential owner out there, right? I mean, that's like, or that's just someone who's so been hurt or so vindictive that they they have to deprive someone else of joy, yeah, right? So I mean, childlike, right? So childlike, so ugly that they would take the thing that your once beloved mm-hmm. loves, right? Yeah. And then, yeah, and and I just, you know, I think that we, that's how we feel about our animals, certainly even more so about our children. And so when you, you know, when you tap into that emotion of losing something that, is so close to you, especially when you need it to kind of really heal and stay alive, then I think you've tapped into something that most people can relate to. And so, you know, for me, I know that if something happened to my dog or someone took my dog, it it would, I would require some heroics to get her back. Yeah. My dog is literally under my desk right now. So right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I actually I think it's interesting you said it was so childlike of the ex-husband Tom, because I feel like Katie, well, not Katie, Samantha is a little bit almost, and I don't want to judge anybody because whatever, but and maybe this is just her true self, you know. But she also felt a little bit territorial over Katie, right? And in terms of Holly. And I was struck in how much, and maybe you did this just to sort of emphasize like their relationship that even on her way into the hospital and dealing with that drama, when she was the main point person before, her feelings of sort of being usurped it as the main caregiver trumped everything else, right? That she was like, oh no, I wasn't called first. And obviously, you know, people have those little pings of, of things, but I do feel like it was, it was like very, what's the word? It, it, almost a little exaggerated in her her response to that. Oh, for sure. You know, I think she was so damaged by losing this best friend of hers that she just now questions whether she could is that good of a friend. And what do you have to do to be that good of a friend? Like, how could she have lost her very best friend by something that so she doesn't even know what she did? So now she's over the top with this other one who she still has. And she's so worried that she's going to lose her or other people in her life. Like she chose the wrong husband. And so now she doesn't really trust herself anymore. And I think that that was the pivotal relationship, that losing of Holly that sort of threw her off her game. And she's she's also a widow, which was so sad. And right, like she had lost her husband when her daughter was a baby or when she was pregnant, yes. like very, very early, right? Yes. Very oh. early. And that Katie yeah, had been and, there for her in the, in those yeah. moments. Right. So, you know, it's that kind of complicated history that we all get as we have get, you know, a certain age, right? Like you, you sort of approach, and I don't know if this is your experience, but I remember, you know, getting married was not, it was the most sort of romantic notion without understanding what the job was. Like I always say that you pick your partner having no idea what the job is going to be. Like, it's sort of like you put an advertisement out and you think, oh, you know, I really like it when they make me laugh and have a nice smile and I want to be able to have sex with them. 
but you don't realize later what you want someone to do is peel a banana for you when you broke your arm. Or maybe you want someone to just listen to you when you're complaining about something and not solve it. You don't even know that that's a job requirement. So you throw yourself into these situations. And then little by little, as you learn wisdom, you start to understand that these things really change our trajectory in life. And some of that baggage we have to learn is just baggage and get rid of it. And I think with Samantha, you know, she had a lot of garbage from losing that friendship and maybe not having the greatest marriage. And then so she really is questioning herself. Like, I thought that life was just doing these, you know, these points, you know, marriage and family and those kinds of things. And it's going to be a wonderful trajectory all the way up. And what you realize later is that each one of those things is very spiky and you learn so much in the end. You know, it's so funny because I always think, and this is going to sound silly, but I always feel sorry for all the people that were like on the Oregon trail that died when they were 20. Cause like, you don't get to know anything about yourself until you're older. And then all of this, you know, experience and hardship and wisdom sort of comes to fruition. And I think that sometimes, you know, it takes, till you're 50 before you sort of go, oh my gosh, like I'm a fully realized person now, not just sort of a pretty cardboard cutout. And I kind of like writing about these really complicated things that make us human that that are like you and I, or like, you know, not, not very, you know, not somebody that, you know, with like one of the things that Katie Moretti tells me is she goes, it's really easy to make. And this is not true. I know this isn't true. She goes, but whenever my thriller gets boring, I kill somebody. She's like, but when you write a book, you can't kill anybody. You have to keep making it interesting. And the way that I like to make it interesting is take normal problems and put them in a little bit of a pressure cooker and then sort of show people like, isn't that sad? Isn't that funny? Isn't that sad? Isn't that funny? And so you have to really underscore some of their weaknesses to get there, I think. Interesting. Yeah. And I, and I feel like you're really highlighting sort of the almost impossible expectations of marriage, right? Especially when you get married young and just like what you're saying, like you change yourself, your needs change. How can one person be expected to kind of know that, sense that, shift with you? I mean, it's like a, a miracle if it, <laughs> if it ever it's, works it's right. A, you know? It's a miracle. And I'm in it's a problem that I like to look at with a magnifying glass, not really a problem, but an, an experience for people that I just can't look away from. I think it's fascinating how certain people connect and how other people don't connect and how some of those relationships are sustainable and some of them aren't. And I, you know, I lost a friendship you know, I mean, it was probably 15 years ago and I don't still don't know what happened in that friendship. I, I'm assuming that I did something and I, I reached out actually like last summer because I found her and she lives in Australia. And I said, so I always felt like, you know, that we had this disconnect and I just have always felt really bad about it. And she goes, no, I don't, I don't think so. And I thought, oh, I just think maybe she doesn't want to talk about it and that's uh. fine. But I may never know what happened there. And I know that all of us have those. Like we lose friendships or sometimes they gently slide away, which is sort of a blessing. But then we also have friendships that maybe should slide away and we don't know what to do with those. So, 
you know, marriage is one of those things that we can put a stake in it and go, this is why relationships are hard, but friendships are a little bit stickier because we don't have the license and a way to break up. <laughs> so true. Um, and the impact of breaking up with a friend is can be just as like, you know, oh life God. shattering. I recently interviewed Kelly Williams Brown, who wrote something called like crafting for the insane something. It was really good. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember I the name. That. Right. Anyway, it was, it's a really great memoir. But in our interview, she was talking about how she had lost two friends, right? The, the friends who had stood by her and abandoned yeah. her. And she didn't go into details, but she did say that when she eventually got kind of diagnosed for the pain, they called it traumatic, like traumatic loss of chosen family, traumatic oh grief. Right. So there was yeah. actually like a, there was like a DSM category or something for it in psychology right? because it's such a thing, right? And it's yeah. so traumatic and makes such a difference that people say, oh, it's just a friendship. Well, no, it's like, the, it's everything. It can be everything. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help and I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy, and you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. That is fascinating. And it, it deserves it. Don't you think it deserves yes, that? Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, women often both get sort of lifted, but also disparaged for writing so much friendship fiction and things like that. But 
my God, what is there in the world if not friendship and family? And so if we're not going to really take a good long look at that, then what is there? It's not, certainly not our jobs, you know, it's, it's these relationships that we build every day. And also, you know, this is true when we're young, but even more true as we get older, you know, I, I, we are weirdos. People are weirdos. And I like a good weirdo. Like I love a good weirdo because they are the most interesting people. So my characters can be a little bit weirdos, you know, <laughs> like people are always like, how did you even, what is that? And I think, <laughs> you know, spend a little time with people and everybody will tell you all their weirdos. That's really I funny. love that. Yeah. I just think the weirdoness makes them the mo- more loving or more able to love. Like their mess is, makes them more lovable. Love that. Wait, so Anne, tell me about starting Tall Poppy Writers and that whole thing and running. Like, just tell me all about that. Please. Yeah. I So, well, I'll tell you, back when I was, my first book came out in 2010 and I didn't, you know, I didn't have any author friends and I wasn't in the business and it was kind of a fluke and And I sat in my chair and I was on the day of my divorce and I had pneumonia, a divorce, and my book came out. And I thought, oh my God, like, and it was really kind of 2010 was really before, I mean, self-published people really knew how to do social media and sell books, but you know, the traditionally published people really were behind the eight ball on that. And so I thought, oh my God, I am never going to get any readers. Like my career is going to go right into the because there's no possible way for me to do this. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't like that because it, it made me think, well, this is probably why so many women writers write one or two books and then they're done. And I thought, this is how women get silenced. Like it, it became sort of a feminist issue for me because, you know, men get a lot of the accolades and they get a lot of the awards. And for a while there, back in 2010, you know, New York Times was not really putting men and women on the list at the same time. And there were things that were definitely inequities. And I thought like that, that doesn't go for me. Like that makes me unhappy. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do what bands do, which is, you know, have an opening band for the smaller author, you know, in the same way. And then I, and remember that commercial way back a thousand years ago, I'll tell two friends and you tell two friends and so on and so on. Well, that was really the roots or the underpinnings of social media. And so I thought, if we all just get together, we'll just, you know, help each other on our launches. And instead of just one person talking about it, we'll have multiple people talking about it. But I had no idea. Like, I had no idea what I started then because it really struck a nerve with everyone. And it's been, you know, I also didn't know, like I was always, I've been a, you know, a, a professor for years. And so when you're a professor, you tell your students, you do this or you fail. Well, as a collaborator, you know, that's not my role in the tall poppies. And so, you know, making a structure work with a lot of really independent, strong women thinkers is both exciting, but also takes a feat of organization. And, you know, I'm a lovely person, but organization is not my (laughs) forte. So, you know, I realized that I had to bring in a lot of other people that had better skills than I. And so we started to build that poppies based on, you know, their skills, like marketing skills and, you know, art skills and organizational skills. And that's what we've come to. And it's been a really great thing. 
but I never had any idea how big it was going to get. And then so how, how big is, how big is it? Like how many writers are there? Like, how do you get involved? How do you become a tall poppy writer? Like what are the requirements? Right. Well, we have fluctuated from 50 writers and we've gone all the way down to 25, like when the pandemic kind of hit us hard. And so now we're back up to say, I think we're at like 36 or something now. And we worked really hard to diversify our authors because for a while we were the tall white poppies and it was very uncomfortable for me. And so we've worked really hard to bring in lots of diversity recently. And so that's part of it. If you want to be a tall poppy, we do have an application on our website, but also it's best to probably reach out to a poppy and just feel them out and say, you know, like, how would I be a poppy? Like, what does it take? And I think when I, what I would tell people most is that what it takes is generosity. You have to really not be, you don't, I mean, anybody who wants to be a poppy because they think, oh, that's the way to get their book into the world. That's really not the greatest way to approach us. The best way to approach us is you know, here's what I can bring. I love the idea of helping other people because I don't like to talk about myself that much, which is really where it started for me. Like I'm, it's, I'm, it's, I mean, I'm not showing that right now because I'm talking so much, but I don't love talking about promoting my stuff. It makes, I'm from the old school of, you know, if people, you know, find me, that's great. (laughs) But So I, you know, what we look for in a poppy is just this sort of generosity and sort of an ability to start in a double dutch jump rope and get moving right away and bring ideas and help move people forward and want to collaborate ideas and openness and things like that. And that is really what makes the tall poppies sort of, I think, different and and the best. Plus, we're a cross genre group, so we don't all write different things. Like we try to make sure that you know, everybody writes different things. And we try really hard to bring in and help as many authors as possible. So even if like being a tall poppy is not something that you can do because of time, you know, interacting with us is the way to get our attention. And then we help out as much as we can. That's, you know, our goal is sort of to help everybody because there's, if, if one, if there's readers, oh my gosh, that's great. We're not competing for those readers. Like I, I only compete for readers like three days around when my book comes out, you know, and then <laughs> then it's just everybody trying to find a really good book to read. And and maybe they don't want to write read a road trip book where where there's a dog in it. Maybe they're more interested in reading a thriller. Well, we have those two. And so, you know, we we just think that, you know, getting these books in front of readers like you do every day all over the place is like the most wonderful thing that you can do for writers and keeping reading alive and keeping reading in front of people and keeping stories in front of people. Like, you know how they say that they've said that people's attention span is so shortened. And I don't actually think that's true. I think what people want is a good story. And when they find a good story, they will spend the day reading that story or two days or three days. That's certainly my case. And we just want to make sure that it's not just the biggest name people that get known. It's some of the smaller name people that don't have, say, the publicity funds or don't have the largest publishers. We want to make sure that there's more of a egalitarian kind of way of approaching book promotion. I love that. So that's why I started it. Yeah. That's great. That's amazing. Yeah. Just, just well, it's, didn't you start, like, when did you start doing yours? 2018, March of 2018. Okay. So we have been limping along much longer than you, (laughs) but you know, when you, 
sort of came on to my landscape. When I started to realize who you were, I thought, oh my God, this is exactly what we need. This is exactly the kind of thing because what you do is just that very thing. You elevate these readers and writers so that they can find each other. And it's so important. You know, that's what we need. Trying. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know we're almost out of time, but I really, I want to know what you're working on now. Like, are you working on a new novel? What's the plan? And then advice for aspiring authors. Oh, okay. So yes, I'm working on a new book. I just got my second round of edits back. It's, it's the hardest book I've ever written. It's set in New York though. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it's about three women of three different generations who bond on an airplane and each of them from the different generations sort of help each other figure out what they have to do in life. And right in the center of it is a blackout and they have to sort of navigate their way through a blackout to get to what they need and want. Love it. So yeah, I'm never going to write a three person point of view ever again. I could die. This book was so hard to write. I don't know why, but it has really done a number of me. And I would say a new aspiring writer, you know, I have so many thoughts and I think about that all the time whenever, like, what would I have told myself? And I think I read one time that impatience is the thing that will stop a career in writing. And I, when I first read that, I thought, oh, I just sort of blew it off. I was like, well, I'm, I'm not that impatient, you know, like whatever. And I thought, oh my God, that's everything. So, you know, like you have to be patient with your writing. You have to be patient with your craft. You have to be patient with the people that tell you that your book isn't working or is working. You have to be patient with the process of finding readers. You have to be patient building this career. And impatience is the thing where you, you know, you can, you'll like, oh, it's fine. It works fine. I just want to get it out there. Or, oh, this, this agent is the agent that, that I'm going to take because they're available to me and not being patient and finding the exact right way to move forward rather than the way that you feel time urgent. And I think, I think honestly, at this point, that's probably my number one thing is this patience and patience with yourself. Oh my gosh. And your story. And I can, I'm speaking very sort of, you know, heartfelt about that now because I'm deep in the middle of you know, a book that is only sort of working. And so I'm trying to give myself as much patience and generosity as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Anne, thank you so much. Thanks for all you do for authors. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Time to Read Books. And I love it. And and all of it, really. Yes, thank you. And next time I come in New York, I'll give you a call. Please do. Yes, absolutely. 100%. All right. Okay. Thank you again. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.